0: As we're at the start of the year now, the real year, um, a good number of people in our church will probably have gone through uh, some sort of graduation or transition ceremony recently, either a school graduation or a university graduation, um, or some kind of transition ceremony in a sporting team or something like that as we came to the end of the year, or you might have celebrated the end of your year at work thinking about what had happened. Just some kind of marker or experience that says you're moving into a new stage of study, or work um, or your life. Now that's a very uh, common experience, of course, and those events, um, particularly graduation from school or receiving a degree or being admitted into some professional or vocational organisation, they can be some of the most significant experiences in our lives. And particularly for young adults, I think those kind of things can be a marker of entering into the full adult world for the first time as your own person, taking up vocation and responsibility for your life. And so as we finish our series uh, today on the early years of Jesus that we've been looking at in January, I think this kind of transition experience sort of described is the best kind of metaphor that we have for where we arrive at this final story of Jesus' uh, early years, um, his baptism. Because this particular story, this is a short story, a few verses, but it marks the transition between the early years of Jesus that we've looked at, his childhood and early life, uh, and the years of his ministry, his public work, and leading, of course, to his death on the cross several years later. And everything that comes after here is kind of the main story of our Gospels. And this is the end today of the prologue, really, to Jesus' story and his ministry, But as we've arrived at this point over the weeks, we've seen that there are events in the early years of Jesus' life that help us to understand what he's going to be doing from this point and what it might mean for us to be followers of Jesus, to be Christians. And so as we began in the first week, we started with the story of the naming of Jesus as a baby when he was eight days old and taking up the story and the hopes of the Old Testament people for what God was going to do for them. So the promises that God made to Abraham to bless the world through him and then to be faithful to his people, they were coming true now that Jesus was in the world. God had come into the world to live among his people and to save them, as we sang before. And this is what the name Jesus means, we learned, then it means he is the God who saves. And then as Jesus is presented in the temple, six weeks later, that was our next story, we saw that this presents, represents the offering to God of a human life entirely dedicated to God's service. And, and that all our lives are meant to have that purpose and that's the Christian way. And then uh, we thought about the hidden years of Jesus as he grew up in a child, as a child in Nazareth and we don't know really what happened then, but he was growing and developing in wisdom and understanding as all children do, preparing quietly for this extraordinary life that he was going to live. And finally, last week, we thought about Jesus in the temple as a teenager, speaking for himself for the first time and moving towards his own calling to know God his Father and to live the way that he was called to live. And so with our story today, we come now to 18 years later, after that one when Jesus was about 30 years old, as you heard. And the story of the baptism of Jesus is really a winding up of the threads of the first few chapters of Luke because it brings also a resolution of sorts to the story of John the Baptist. Now, we haven't actually thought about, this, about John the Baptist in this series, but the story of his early years as well is actually recounted alongside that of Jesus in these chapters. Now, John the Baptist is a prominent character in the early parts of the gospel story. Now, and John was a little older than Jesus was and was a relative of his in some way. It's, you know, we read that his mother, Elizabeth, was a family member of Jesus' mother, Mary. So John and Jesus were probably cousins of some kind. Now, I love the word cousins. It's a very helpful word. It's a loose word. And for me, it means someone who is related to you in some way that would take a long time to describe otherwise. Um... So they're cousins. I've managed to go my whole life so far without actually learning or being able to tell you what a first cousin or a second cousin is. I'm expecting that to continue. Don't try to tell me. I will not take it in. Um, So for simplicity's sake, John the Baptist was a cousin of some kind to Jesus. And so like Jesus, we read that his birth was special. An angel told his parents that he would be a prophet and leader and would call his people back to God. And so when he grew up, he went out into the desert and lived a very severe and very focused spiritual life. Now, when we hear someone called a Baptist, we might have in mind a particular kind of church or a particular denomination. Um, he He was known as a Baptist not because he was a member of those churches, of course, but because he encouraged people to repent of their sins and come back to God, and being washed in the river was a sign of this spiritual renewal. That's baptism. It was, it was um, John's role to prepare people for the return of God in his presence in their midst. And he was pointing ahead, he said, to something greater than himself, the Messiah, God's chosen person. So John's like the kind of support act or the warm-up act for the main uh, attraction of the concept, which is Jesus. And in the, in the early years, um, there was actually some tension between the followers of Jesus and those who followed John the Baptist. But the two of them actually came together in this experience we've read today of the baptism of Jesus, and that started his own ministry and movement. And so this is the back, that's the background, really, of this story of Jesus' baptism that we've heard. Now, as you think about this story, one of the things you may wonder is, why did Jesus get baptized at all, given that he is supposed to be without sin, and he doesn't need to return to God? Why would he be baptized, and how could it happen? Why would he bother? I think that in this instance, Jesus' baptism then is a sign for us that he is completely identified with human beings. So at the heart of it, what baptism means, I think, is that you are offering yourself to God for his purposes. On the other side of the washing in the water, or whoever comes out of the river after it, is someone who is ready for whatever comes next with God. That's what baptism is supposed to mean. So in one sense, sin is not the focus of baptism. God is the focus. Our life with God is the focus, and renewing that life is why people were baptized. So for Jesus, I think, baptism by John that he had is not a cleansing from sin. It's more of a graduation ceremony. He's ready now. To move into whatever journey is next, identified with us. And we can see that this is accompanied by an affirmation from God the Father that comes from heaven about Jesus' identity and his ministry from here on. He says, As the Holy Spirit comes on him in a visible way, and the voice of the Father is heard, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So that's the story we have in the Gospels, the last story of Jesus' early years. And again, I think we always ask in this series, well, what does this mean for us? It's not just an interesting story. Why is this story here? Does it change anything for us as we follow Jesus? So I think that like the other stories of the early years of Jesus, this story is for us a wonderful reminder of the humanity of Jesus. And so the connection that he has with real human life and real human nature this connection that God has now. For me, over the years, this is something that's become more and more important in my own understanding of Christian faith and Christian life. Uh, one of the persistent difficulties uh, that comes up in the life of the church, and it spills out, I think, into how the world at large understands God, is that we often think and act as though there is a separation between what is normal or natural and what is spiritual, so between the natural world and and the supernatural world. And it's generally considered, or often, that you can be either interested in one of those things or the other, but not both at the same time. Um, You know, one of the questions that always comes up over the years when you tell people that you might believe in God or go to the church, they'll ask, are you you religious? Are you religious? It's an interesting question. Are you religious? Um, Most people, I think, in Australia would say they're not religious. That is, in their life, they don't give focused time to spiritual things. They focus on their normal life. They're not the kind of religious spiritual things that are not relevant to everyday life. They don't. They're not religious religious, religious people. So spiritual things are separate to normal life. And if you're religious, well, that's fine. You might be interested in that, but that's a choice you make. And I think that's the Australian way. Um, We do have a split between natural things and supernatural things, and you choose which one you want to be involved with or concentrate on. And I think, though, this tendency tends to let us down a bit, though, because on one level it becomes hard then to talk to each other as a community about what the meaning of life is, or how to have a better society, because you can't do that really if all you can pay attention to is things that are natural or ordinary. because. Evil and injustice are natural parts of the world, they're things that just happen. And so, if that's the case, how then can things ever change, how can they be different? How can we hope? We just need to accept the status quo. And this can lead to a very cynical view of life, and I think a lot of Australians do have a very cynical view of life in the world. Um, We become convinced human beings can't change, we can't grow, we can't expect much from each other, or to see things change. So that's one problem, I think. On the other hand, if we're honest, those of us who take on the reality of spiritual, supernatural things and spiritual things, and do pay attention to those things, often lose a bit of contact with the normal everyday world. Um, and Christians can get caught up in strange opinions about super, spiritual subjects and fall into unnatural ways of acting and talking, you know, and lacking kindness or common sense about how to treat people. Um, Hence the suspicion, I think, that many people have towards the church nowadays, that being religious seems to mean being weird in many cases. Tell me it's not true. Um, It doesn't seem to be natural or human to be concerned with these things. So I think that the human life of Jesus and his baptism in the spirit, I think, is an antidote to both of those problems. Because what we see in this episode of Jesus' life, his baptism by John the Baptist, and receiving the Holy Spirit is really the coming together of a human life and the life of God in a full and complete way. So Jesus's divine nature, as we would call it, is kind of hidden before this. It's implicit in his development as a child. It's not outwardly obvious that he's the son of God. But here in his baptism, he comes to his full maturity, graduating into the calling that God gave him and receiving this affirmation from the father, this is my son whom I love. I'm pleased with him. And at the baptism of Jesus then, what we have is the emergence, I think, of the first fully human being into the world because he's the first human who is also perfectly at one with God and filled with his spirit. You can see then in Jesus, there's no either or. So Jesus' life is not about natural versus supernatural. It's not about religious versus non-religious, divine versus human, but it's both together and it fulfills each other in the complete life of a complete person. With his baptism then, Jesus is the first in kind of the graduating class of properly spiritual human beings, but not the last. His humanity is not denied by being the Son of God. In being the Son of God, his human being is lifted to a new level, the level that all of us are made to live at. That's a lot to take in, I think but I think it is the kind of conclusion that we're meant to draw from this story. There is now a new kind of human way at work in the world, a new way to experience the presence or the kingdom of God. And this is what John the Baptist said. Just before our reading, he says to the people coming to be baptised by him, I'm baptising you with water, but someone is coming after me who will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So John's baptism was about repentance. It was about returning to God and being immersed in the water for the washing away of sins. But Jesus' baptism is different. It's about the experience of being immersed in the Holy Spirit, to being really changed and given a new life and a new calling. This is what He is offering people. That's what John says. So the idea that this gap that we live with is this gap between us and God. There's the gap between being a human being and being a spiritual being, and that's gone now. It's gone. We are now both of those things at once. God lives within us. And that's the promise for those who follow Jesus by faith, who receive his baptism with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So the, the promise is that we will become through the grace of God, what Jesus was by nature. We will be sons and daughters of God the Father. And so as we move on from the early years of Jesus and we jump back um, into the Old Testament to look at uh, Joshua and think about the coming of Jesus in the future, I think when we hear this, this is what we're hearing about the story of Jesus. Jesus was a human being. God with us. And that, So the story of Jesus is the story of human beings. It's the story of all of us. So in the creation story in Genesis, when God made the world, he looked over and he said, this is very good. I'm pleased with it. I'm pleased I made it. Um, And now a lot has happened since then. A lot has gone wrong, but it's still good, and God is still pleased with it. And he's pleased with us too. There's a lot in us, in our lives, that we regret, of course, and we want to change, and that's what many of us will grapple with when 95% of us finally abandon our New Year's resolutions next week. Um, But we know because of Jesus that through his baptism we will be changed and we will become what we were made to be. It's through grace, though. So we will be like Jesus. We will be human beings, normal people, normal people, but filled with the Spirit of God. And so whoever we are, one day we trust that this is what we will hear said over us. The voice that comes from heaven and says to you, you are my son, whom I love. I'm very pleased with you. Or you are my daughter. I love you. I'm very pleased with how you've turned out." So these are words for us, I think, that Jesus brings today, which is a blessing from our Father that cannot be taken away. So let's thank God for that and pray to him now. I'm going to share some prayer for us, and then we're going to sing. Dear Lord, we thank you for this message from the life of Jesus, the hope that we have, that our normal lives, the humanity that you've given us will be filled with your spirit and made what it is supposed to be. We pray that you would come upon us in a new way today to refresh and fill our hearts with your spirit and that we would know the words that you say over us, that you are pleased with how uh, you have made us and pleased with what we are becoming. So we pray all this in Jesus' name.